My name is Travis Grizel. I'm in the Solutions Architecture Group uh, for Alexa Voice Service. I've been with Amazon for just about seven years. I uh, spent most of that time in AWS, um, actually in Solutions Architecture as well. So I've been to reInvent many times. Um, actually, every time that we've had a reInvent, I've been here either doing a session, a workshop, or even attending and, and sitting in the sessions as you are today. So very familiar with the format um, and really appreciate everybody taking time to come to this talk today. Um, what I want to do is give a little bit of detail uh, about Alexa and first of all, you know, why I joined the organization and where we see this technology going. So from our perspective, we believe that voice is the future. Um, it's the simplest way for two high, high bandwidth uh, beings to communicate with each other. Um, and it's natural, it's something that we do from the time that we're in the womb, you know, we're hearing, we're listening to voice. And it's a very easy, natural way to interact with technology as well. And so if we step back a little bit and we think about kind of from a hardware perspective, um, how voice interactions have evolved over time, you started kind of back with this unidirectional microphone. You think of like the old radios, things like that. We have a single microphone, it's always on um, the radio broadcaster speaking into it, and somewhere out in the ether, people are listening to him talk. Um, as you progress on into walkie-talkies and two-way radios, you come up with this um, push-to-talk paradigm. Uh, and the ability to have a built-in speaker so both of these parties can actually communicate back and forth. And then building on that technology, you get to voice activation and advanced audio algorithms where you have things like noise cancellation. And so, you know, most people probably have these at your desk today so that you can just sit on your head and you're not having to push a button every time you interact with the person on the other side. Um, and then building upon that one last time, you get into the more sophisticated uh, online conference rooms that we have today. Uh, and the ability to pick up everyone in the room and be able to have a very good connection quality um, for both parties on each side. And so it's a combination of all these technologies, the noise reduction, um, the audio algorithms, the 360 degrees microphones that has um, enabled Amazon to create the very first Alexa-enabled device, the Amazon Echo. So we launched the Amazon Echo on November 6, 2014. Um, and it's, it's really a pretty simple device. Um, it is a speaker a microphone and a network connection. And the real power of this is running in the cloud called Alexa. You speak to it, I have one here today. Hopefully everyone has interacted with Alexa at this point. Alexa, hi. Hi there. I'll turn that off. Uh, I can't tell you how many times in the middle of a conference call I say the A word and uh, she pipes up. So as a consumer or as a user of Alexa, what is it? Um, rather than just bad jokes, everybody knows it, it's, it's pretty lame jokes. Um, it has the ability for things like setting timers and alarms. Very, very functional. Um, it makes you know, cooking in the kitchen very easy. Um, makes putting my kids down to bed or for a nap or timeout a little bit easier as well. Um, you also have the ability to control smart home. So the ability to turn on and off lights, um, lock doors, um, be able to turn on your TV, actually change to other channels at this point. You have the ability to shop, you have the ability to get um, interesting news and information, and obviously play music as well. And as a developer, you have access to tens of millions of Alexa-enabled devices. There's over 25,000 Alexa skills available today with brands like Uber, Domino's, and others, where you can interact and engage with their brand and their platform through your device. And there's over a thousand works with Alexa products today. And these are when you get into the, the TP links and the Wemos and the devices that you can actually turn on with your voice. 
And so we've spent the last three years building an array of Alexa-enabled devices, um, starting with the Echo, moving into the Dot and the Tap, and most recently devices with screens such as the Show and the Spot. Um, but we envision Alexa being everywhere. Um, we see this moving from inside the home to going mobile and outside the home and in other locations as well. And so today, while we primarily see uh, devices like home audio devices um, and even some uh, you know, wearables and, and smartphones, we see opportunity for a growing system of um, third-party providers and OEMs to create Alexa devices. And that's why we created the Alexa voice service. And so that's what the prim uh, majority of today's talk is going to be about, is actually helping you understand how you can build an Alexa voice service, uh, an Alexa-enabled product. So Alexa voice service is the cloud-based intelligence that is Alexa that's accessible through an Echo or any other Amazon-provided device. Um, it's easy, fast to integrate with, it's free to use, and it allows people to interact with those 25,000 different skills and all of those capabilities that we talked about through your devices as well. I have on the screen that we saw a moment ago, also have a couple of devices up here on the floor, uh, a few devices that uh, we'll be showing in a workshop later on that are actually Alexa-enabled devices as well. And so um, while we say this is simple, we wanna dive in and show you that there actually is some complexity, um, but what we're doing to make that easier for people to actually integrate. So first and foremost, we'll talk about what is the actual um, voice interaction model between the device and Alexa. And this really comes down to two messages. Uh, events are information um, that is sent from the device itself up to the Alexa voice service. And then once Alexa wants to do something, it sends a directive back down to the device. And it's really that simple, right? So if we say, Alexa, what time is it? What you get here, and I'll kind of turn and look at one of these screens here. Uh, the very first thing that's happening on device is you are sitting there listening for a wake word, in this case, the word Alexa. As soon as it hears Alexa, it starts streaming everything else after that up to the Alexa voice service. This enters into what we call the speech platform. The speech platform is an orchestration layer that enables these back-end subsystems to interact and uh, work with each other. And so in this case, uh, we send in a recognize event from the device that sends it to our speech recognition subsystem that pulls out the raw audio file and converts that to text. Pretty easy. Our phones have been able to do this for years. That then orchestrates and sends back to the natural language understanding platform. And this is where the real complexity comes in. This is where we're trying to determine what the intent is of what the person asked. You can say something like, what's the weather this weekend? Or you can say, is it picnic weather this weekend? You have the same intent as a user, and that's what the NLU is doing, is actually stripping out and understanding what you want to do. In this case, uh, we decide that you want to understand what time it is, and so we send that back to a uh, subsystem of the skills or capabilities. Um, and then from there, we're going to send that information back over to our TTS system, which generates Alexa's voice, and sends that back down as an actual audio file to your device, where all you do is simply play that, right? So everything that's in that yellow box there is done by Alexa, and again, all that you're doing is managing an event and a directive. So what do those actually look like? Alexa, what time is it? So this is a JSON payload, um, and this is specifically capturing that audio file and sending it up to us. Um, on the other side, you have a directive. It's 1.15 p.m. That comes back down as a JSON payload. Um, anybody who's a developer and has worked through parsing this can understand how complex this actually is. And this is extremely simplified in this case. There's actually a lot more that's happening. To give you an example of that, 
uh, let's take an example of setting a timer. Alexa set a timer for 10 minutes. In this case, uh, you have a recognize event coming up to us that's saying set a timer for 10 minutes. You run through that subsystem that we talked about, the orchestration layer, the speech recognition, the NLU, the TTS, all of that. Alexa starts to say 10-minute timer starting now. You get a speak directive back down. But what's actually happening behind the scenes is the speech directive comes down in an MP3 format to the device. As soon as your device starts to hear that, we get a, start, a speech started event, and we send that back up to Alexa to tell her we're now playing that file out. As soon as that finishes, we send a speech finished event back up to Alexa as well. At the same time, the AVS controller is interfacing with the audio player to actually play that message out. And then we get a speech alert directive sent down, I'm sorry, a set alert directive sent down from Alexa to the device, which goes into the alert manager store in a state machine, which actually then tracks the store of that state. We send an event back to Alexa, 10 minutes passes. We actually start the uh, timer going off itself. We send an event up to Alexa, and then the, uh, that alert actually has to enter the foreground. So the reason I bring this up is that this is a very, again, simplified version of this. But to handle this complex set of sequences, you have to do some pretty decent onboard processing. right? And this is where we're working to make things easier. In the past, everyone had to build that client out and do it on their own. Here, you see those events and directives and how that's actually being sent back and forth. This is over an HTTP2 uh, persistent connection. Um, the reason this is important is because as soon as an Alexa device stands up, you actually need to establish a downstream channel so that if we need to send notifications to that device or there's a message or something else coming in, that is there. And a lot of people don't have experience with HTTP2 at this point. It's very complex to manage these event-specific streams um, and keep that uh, persistent uh, connection up and running. And so this is where we've introduced the AVS uh, device SDK. And this is a C++-based uh, libraries. And it provides most everything that you'll need to do to uh, enable uh, an Alexa-enabled product. And so we'll spend a little bit of time talking about this now. For the most of the rest of the talk, it'll, it'll be fairly technical. We're kind of through the marketing part. Um, but there's six kind of key components here. And just to walk through that quickly, um, the first is a shared data stream. And this is simply just a, a ring buffer that is sitting there constantly taking in audio and then discarding it if it doesn't need it, right? Behind the shared uh, data stream is your actual wake word engine itself. And this, uh, the way that we built the SDK is we allow you to use any wake word engine that you want. Sensory, any open source, whatever that may be. Um, but that is sitting there constantly listening for the pattern Alexa. So it's an on-device model. We'll get into that a little bit more later on as well. And then the audio input processor. And this is actually what then triggers and starts sending stuff to Alexa. So at no point, while this device comes up, and it has that down-channel connection, it's not actually streaming any audio up to Alexa until it hears Alexa through that wake word engine. Then it opens up the audio input processor and starts streaming everything up to Alexa until it gets a stop directive back down to the device that was generated by Alexa. The uh, Alexa communications library um, establishes that persistent downstream uh, connection and it opens and closes those individual event streams. It essentially handles everything related to the events and directives being sent back and forth so that you as a developer don't have to do that. Um, the, the next piece is the uh, Alexa, uh, excuse me, am I one slide off? Uh, the Alexa uh, directive uh, sequencer library. Sorry, I, I got confused here. 
Um, and this is actually going to be taking those directives that are coming down and sequencing those in the right order. Um, this is going to send back to the correct capability agent. So if we talk about that now, let's take an actual real life scenario. Uh, you're in the kitchen, you're jamming out to Taylor Swift's latest album, um, and you want to make a pizza, right? And so you set a timer for 10 minutes. The next thing you want to know is what's my account balance to Ramex? So all three of these interactions went through those same events and directives that we talked about earlier, sending and sequencing many things back and forth. And so how do we actually handle that on the client and ensure that you have a good quality um, Alexa experience? And this is where the uh, Alexa Focus Manager library comes into play. And this controls which capability agent actually has um, the attention of the system at any given time. So using that same example, we're rocking out to Tay-Tay's latest album. Uh, our pizza timer goes off because it's been 10 minutes. Uh, and then Alexa comes back and says, your account is overdrawn. Um, this we prioritize in what we call channels. And the channels um, have a very specific order in what is given priority at any given time. So audio player is always going to be the lowest priority. Um, alerts then have priority over that. So when your alert goes off, the audio starts ducking, is what we call it, and playing a little bit more quietly. Um, and then as soon as Alexa starts to speak, that has priority over the alerts itself. But what if you need to actually talk? This is where the speech recognizer always has precedence over anything. So if we give kind of this example here, Alexa, what's the weather this weekend? In Bothell, Alexa, it'll be a rainy weekend. What time is it? The time is 1.13 p.m. Stop. So you saw the ability for me to barge in, and that's because that speech uh, recognizer uh, interface actually has, and the capability agent actually has the highest priority above anything else. And so these capability agents that we talked about so far today, the speech recognizer, the speech synthesizer, uh, audio player alerts, um, but there's actually quite a bit more. So there's the libraries and framework in place for notifications, um, things like template runtime, uh, if you actually have a, a GUI on your device. Um, and so if we go through kind of just one more time through this whole interaction model and put this a little bit more visually for everyone, uh, somebody says, turn the A off, uh, Alexa, what's the weather today? This comes in through the shared data stream. This goes into the audio input processor to pick up the word Alexa. Uh, that then goes through the Alexa communications library, sends over an event to the Alexa voice service. You have the back and forth orchestration that happens here between speech recognition, NLU, the specific capability in the TTS that's sent back down to the device in the form of a directive that then goes to the ADSL, the Alexa Directive Sequencer Library, which invokes the right capability agent, in this case, the media player. And the Alexa Focus Manager Library gives the system the attention to be able to go ahead and say it's 60 degrees and raining in Seattle. Surprise, surprise. Um, all of that happens in about a second. And so this is where... Um, you know, this can be very complex, and what we really encourage our customers to do at this point, the developers we work with, is to consider working with our AVS device SDK. Um, it's a very extensible, portable platform. In the case of Garmin, as an example, they took the SDK and cross-compiled that over to Android OS um, so that they could have their Alexa-enabled product up and running very quickly. Um, you can move this over to Linux, Mac OS, Raspberry Pi. It can be extended to virtually any hardware platform necessary. In the case of Hisense, um, they wanted to write their own display cards for their very specific platform making televisions. 
minimum amount of glue code uh, required to do that. Uh, in the case of Sonos, they use the SDK, but being who they are and, and the experts in the music and media player space, they use their own specific media player. So you can use any specific libraries that you need out of that SDK, any of those individual modules, and throw away anything else. We mentioned also you can use your own wake word. Um, and it's accessible. This is on GitHub, the source code. Um, it's, there's no cost to actually use this. You can prototype, you can implement it completely for free. Um, and you have the ability to enhance this for your very specific product. If you're building a navigation unit, uh, we go back to those channels and what you give priority to. Maybe you want to give navigation commands higher priority than something else. And so to get started, what we usually do uh, is we recommend people go to GitHub, they get a Raspberry Pi, and they get it up and running on there. That's the simplest way um, to the most sophisticated and complex partners that we work with. This is almost always how we start. Um, once you progress beyond that, you can get into a more commercial grade uh, SOC like the NXP. Um, and both of these have the ability to do a hands-free implementation. So you have the ability to run the wake word engine on there, um, microphones, things like that. And so at this point, now we get into the actual hardware design. And in a traditional, typical engagement where I'm working with a customer or a developer, I would actually probably go the opposite direction. I would say, let's start with the hardware first, because this is the longest part in the design cycle. This takes 12 plus months, or we can implement that SDK in a couple of months at this point now, or even a couple of weeks. And so we'll talk about a couple of different ways that you can actually build Alexa. Um, the first, and what some OEMs are doing, is literally taking an Echo and throwing it into their product. Um, so you have like the, the iHome uh, clock right here. Um, or the origin acoustics um, in ceiling mount. And this is fine, you're able to actually take the dot, hook it up to a 3.5, throw it into your device, um, and you now have an Alexa-enabled product. But for the most, uh, most situations, we're gonna recommend to customers um, and the developers that we work with to really kind of start from scratch and think about something different. Um, if you're a company that doesn't have a whole lot of experience in hardware design, um, you can use one of the white box solutions like the Gore-Tec Puck. And this is something that you can literally just change the colors on, stamp your logo on it, and get it to market. This could be done in a matter of a couple of months. If you want a little bit more flexibility, we also have form factor reference designs. Um, this allows you to put in your own SD ports, um, HDMI ports, um, perhaps change some of the internals as well, and offer something a little bit more custom to your specific users. Um, but where we really get into the more custom integrations and, and specializations is when we work with something like a systems integrator's ABS module, where they have actually all of the, the chipsets, um, the Wi-Fi, the Alexa client actually built into the device, and you can actually take that and put that into a completely different form factor. Say you're making treadmills or a TV or something that doesn't kind of fit those first two areas. Um, this is where we recommend starting to look at this. And if you're really looking at building something custom, um, this is where we get into our specific development kits that we've worked with some commercial providers to create. So things like the Connexent 2 Micro 4 Mic kit, um, and you can really kind of go to town on it. And so we'll come back to that in a minute, but I want to introduce a couple of terms first, um, just to make sure we cover all of our bases on the, uh, the right way to do an implementation. Uh, so the first we'll talk about is a touch-activated device. And if anybody has a Fire TV at home, um, you now have Alexa on that Fire TV, if you didn't know it, and you can push and hold that device to invoke and interact with Alexa. In that case, you're not running a wakeward engine, so you simply push and hold it and you say, what time is it? Or play some music, whatever that may be. Um, there's also the tap to talk methodology, and there's some OEMs and third parties that have created this, as well as the Amazon tap as well. 
there, you tap it, you say what time is it, and then the end of speech detection is done in the cloud, you get that stop directive or the, that stop listening directive back down from Alexa. Um, but the most powerful is where you get into the voice activated methodologies of interacting with Alexa. And so the first we consider is, is hands-free. And this is you know, perhaps a, a device more like these where you know, on this GE lamp, you have a two mic on the top of here. Um, on this, you have, I believe, five mics across the top. These devices are really intended to be um, interacted with probably from five to seven feet away. Um, they work great in those use cases. But if you want that across the room type of experience like you get with the Amazon Echo, um, this is where you get into far field capabilities. And so when we talk about the Amazon Echo with a seven mic array across the top, this is a, a bit of an abstract of what that hardware architecture actually looks like. So the first thing you have is the mic array board itself. And you see kind of eight mics across the top, leveraging seven of those. You're doing analog to digital conversion to get the best and cleanest audio that you possibly can. That then interfaces with a digital signal processor, a DSP. And this is running some audio algorithms. Talk a little bit more about these. We already talked about like noise cancellation. But that's effectively where those are running. Um, the SOC, in this case, you know, here, uh, the Raspberry Pi. Uh, and this is where you're going to run your wakeboard engine um, and your actual AVS client that we talked about earlier through the SDK. Um, that then interfaces with the Wi-Fi. You get the event going out in the blue line and the directives coming back in the green lines. So you say, what time is it? Goes back there, passes back through the D DSP where you're running it through AEC, acoustic echo cancellation, and pushing that back through a digital to analog conversion and out through the speakers themselves. And so that's what we call the AFE, the audio front end. And how do you actually choose the right audio front end for your specific device? As you see here, these devices, and I'm sorry if people on this side of the room can't see them, um, you know, they have very different form factors from an echo or a dot. And so we need to think about the audio algorithms that we run on there, the number of microphones and the microphone arrangement are gonna be different on all of these devices. And so the wakeboard engine, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but this is the, the one audio algorithm that we generally recommend to run on the SOC. And this is typically because of the size of this. Um, bigger models are gonna work better. If you have a very small footprint, um, you don't have the ability to pattern match, match um, as, as good as you would with you know, storing more on device. And so um, the challenge here can be leveraging bomb costs with the quality of the implementation and, and how well you want it to be able to interact and work with Alexa. Um, there's also a, a capability we have called cloud-based wakeward verification, where instead of taking everything said after Alexa, you back up 500 milliseconds and you actually take Alexa as well, you ship that up to the cloud and we do a second pass on that to make sure that Alexa was actually said. And this gets rid of what we call um, false accepts. Um, basically when you didn't say Alexa, but the device wakes up because it thought you said Alexa. And so it's very specifically working between the model size and the wakeward engine running on the device and things like cloud-based wakeward verification to make sure that you have a good quality experience. Um, noise reduction, uh, we talked about. Um, signal to noise ratio, SNR. Uh, this is something that actually removes the background noise. So here in the room, you know, there's, there's people breathing, there's, there's weird you know, vibrations off the wall, there's cameras going off. This is your noise in this case. My voice is the signal. And 
to have a good accuracy and be able to interact with Alexa in a quality way, you need to have a high signal to noise ratio. And so as that background noise goes up, you're gonna have a tougher time hearing it. Think about going mobile and you're in a street or in a car and there's all the noise variations that you might have there. Um, so the noise reduction algorithms um, do their best to turn out, turn out those specific frequencies, maybe focus in on the specific uh, voice that you've heard. Um, acoustic echo cancellation, we talked a little bit about this uh, running on the DSP as well. This is the scenario where you're on uh, your laptop um, using a conferencing system and you have five people on there and somebody's voice all of a sudden starts echoing. It's because the speaker is playing out and their microphone is capturing it and pulling it back in and starts kind of reverberating through everybody's uh, system. And so uh, we implement acoustic echo cancellation or we work with our customers too. And this is essentially taking all of the audio, whether that's Alexa's voice or whether that's the music itself, and passing that into the DSP um, so that we can cancel that out. And this is what gives you the ability to say, Alexa, play some music. Here's a station you might like, Dead Mouse. It's a little from risky. Amazon Music. Alexa, stop. So it's through that acoustic echo cancellation where it's feeding all of that music back through there to then allow me to barge in. Um, Beamforming is another one, and a lot of people have probably seen this before. I, I like this graphic right here. Um, but it's essentially um, allowing uh, the device to hone in on where the actual voice is coming from. So as my speech waves come across the top of the device and across these seven microphones, we're able to point a line from the last microphone um, that heard the, the wave back to the first microphone to then be able to turn up the gain on those specific mics. And so if you've seen this before, this is the Alexa, and then you can kind of see over here where it's following me around the room, right? That's beamforming. And with beamforming, orientation matters a whole lot. Uh, we talked earlier about like the origin acoustics or other devices that you know, you're taking it and you know, flipping it onto a wall or you're putting it into a ceiling. Um, Beamforming is, is tuned to work at a very specific angle and with this very specific mic array as designed. And so in the case of something like an echo or a dot, it's typically intended to be placed on a tabletop and you're interacting with it at about a 15 degree angle from 360 degrees. The moment that you put that up into the ceiling or you've put that onto a wall, beamforming effectively stops working at that point. And so while it may work fine if you're on your own and you're in a room and it's pretty quiet, the moment that you get some background noise or some other um, variables in there, you're gonna have a really tough time interacting with that device. And so now we talk about microphone arrangement. And, and typically, when I am interacting with, with our OEMs, the first question they ask is, how can I get the seven mic array that's in an echo? That may not be actually your best bet for the reasons that we just talked about. If you have a wall-mounted device, not only will that you know, uh, be uh, additional bomb costs that you don't need to absorb, um, but a two mic actually may perform better than a seven mic in a very specific scenario where it's wall mounted and facing out and trying to capture audio from 180 degrees. The moment that you, know, you take this device and you put that up against a wall, you're now catching the voice reflections off the back of the wall into the back of the microphones and you're losing that beamforming capability. Um, so microphone arrangement does matter. Um, in the case of like a touch activated device, a single mic is totally fine. There's no reason to go out and put multiple mics in there. This is you pick it up, you talk to it really close, it can pick up everything it needs to. Um, for hands-free, uh, we always recommend at least two mics. That gives you additional capabilities when it comes to noise reduction and the ability to locate where the user's at. 
Um, and far field is typically going to be four, six, seven, eight mics or plus. Um, but there is diminishing returns. And this isn't hard data that, that I would go back and, and you know, show uh, engineers on the team. Um, but you know, in, in some environments, like I said, a two mic will actually perform very well compared to something like a seven mic array. Um, but with high SNR, signal to noise ratio, this is where something like a seven mic is going to outperform. But even in really, really high SNR environments, if I had laryngitis or if everyone in this room was talking, there'd be a really tough time for even a seven mic array to pick up my voice. So it's really choosing the right audio algorithms, um, the right microphone array, and the arrangement of those specific microphones to ensure that you have a really good quality Alexa implementation. And so we're working with our um, OEMs and, and other commercial manufacturers of these type of devices to build development kits um, to make this easy. Um, we started with something, uh, just a single uh, two mic connexant kit um, and have kind of grown that out since then. And so what comes in a development kit is the DSP board and or the SOC that we talked about, the wake word engine, um, the audio processing algorithms, uh, the software drivers for that, the sample client, and all the documentation that you need to get stood up and running. And these are kind of where we're at today with the development kits. Um, something like the two mic connexant is, is something like would be very appropriate for a device like this, the Eufy Genie, very similar to an Echo Dot. Um, and then all the way kind of up to even like an eight mic circular array from Intel that was just recently announced. So bringing everything together, we're almost at the end of the talk now. Um, you know, we think that voice is going to fundamentally change the way that people interact with technology. And we're already starting to see that happen. Um, I don't have time to get up and switch on and off my lights anymore when I can just do it from my couch. Our vision at Alexa is that um, Alexa is ubiquitous. We see this being in every room in your house. I have 25 devices, Alexa-enabled devices in my house today, um, interacting with over 92 connected devices. Um, and we see that extending out into the car and into the workplace, um, and even in public places like this. And so we're working with OEMs and developers to kind of create that vision and bring these other products to market. Um, and Alexa, as a, as a company, Alexa provides the ability for um, people to interact with your device in completely different ways. If you think about Sonos in the past and being able to pull up your controller um, and play music, now you can actually just speak to your Sonos um, and actually have that music play out. Um, and a quality Alexa implementation takes a lot of consideration and a lot of work. Everything from the hardware design that starts very early on, probably 12 months out, um, to the very specific software considerations that you need to make for your specific device. Um, but we're making that easier via our development kits and our SDK. And so I kind of wanted to finish off with uh, Alexa, stop the phone. No? Okay. Uh, with some recommendations from, from real life uh, from my side. Um, you know, Alexa has had a, a major impact in kind of the smart speaker, wireless speaker space. Um, it's also very hard to compete in that space and to build something innovative that will stand out from other things. So I really encourage partners to think about something unique. What do you bring that is different from an Echo or a Sonos or another Alexa-enabled speaker that's out there today? And that's where the companies, the developers, the, the engineers um, really want to put your minds to you know, creating that unique experience and not just being kind of another you know, $50, $60 speaker. Um, Always start with the user experience. And, and this is something that is so often overlooked. Um, 
go through some actual use cases, you know, uh, do kind of the, the marketing exercises, whatever that may be, um, to say, how do you actually expect a person to interact with it? Do you expect them to walk up to your device and, and push it? If it's in a laundry room and they're already standing there already, that may make sense. But if it's, you know, something like a light switch, uh, or in the middle of you know, an area where you want to be able to act, interact with it in a hands-free way, you need to think about a very specific microarray and the audio algorithms for that specific device. Seven microarrays may not always be necessary, as we talked about. If something needs 180-degree coverage, look at a two-mic or a four-mic, two-by-two type of configuration. Um, those early industrial design decisions that you make um, will have a heavy impact on the quality of the Alexa implementation. We've had several companies come to us that have already locked in their design. They're through EVT, DVT stages, and they say, now we want to put Alexa in this device. And what we find in working with those is that quickly turns into a 12-plus month project that ends up delaying their ability to actually launch their product um, because they only have a single mic on there or the thermal... Uh, the thermals don't work out um, for the very specific use case. And so our recommendation at this point is let's talk about Rev2, version 2 of your product, and putting Alexa into that and actually making that purpose-built for Alexa and your product. Um, dev kits, dev kits, dev kits, I can't say that, that enough. Um, if you decide that you want to build your own, that's totally fine. Go with anybody else. We will support you. It's totally fine to do that. We have many companies that have, but always start with a get dev kit. Just test it out. These are partners that we've worked with. We know from experience that um, they will pass our far-field certifications as long as you, you know, uh, place them right. Um, use the AVS SDK. Uh, Alexa is a growing set of capabilities. Things like notifications, calling and messaging. These are all features that have launched since our first AVS devices have launched. And if you are having to go through and continue to update your code to be able to handle these new things. That's an ongoing engineering effort. Um, to that point, you know, give plenty of time before and after. Uh, we see engagements take anywhere from 2 to 12 to even 18 months, depending on the complexity of the integration and what you're trying to do. Um, leave headroom for those new capabilities. Um, something like calling and messaging, even notifications. This is going to require more processing, more RAM on device. And if you're already you know, maxed out on your CPU capabilities, you won't have the ability to add those new Alexa features. Be prepared for AVS certification. We do have a process in which we go through and we test for, does this align to our UX guidelines? Um, functionally, does this meet what we call our, our functional design guidelines? Things like every single hands-free Alexa device must have a ability to disable the microphones and the ability to manually interact with Alexa in case they can't barge in. And so those are the type of things that you have to make sure early on, especially in your ID process. Um, and all the way to the, the way that the far field performance works. If your device is constantly waking up when it's not being spoken to, or vice versa, when you are speaking to it and it's not waking up, we test for that. And we have very specific criteria um, for how that should operate um, to be you know, sold and promoted through us. Engage with our team. Uh, we have solutions architects, business development, product teams um, in kind of all of these areas, and we're more than willing to help people build Alexa-enabled products. Um, or alternatively, work with the solutions integrator. Uh, we have uh, SIs that are out there that have experience in building end-to-end -end implementations of Alexa-enabled products. So that's it from my side. If you're interested in learning a little bit more, uh, you can go to the URL uh, down below. Otherwise, I'll be at the stage at the end here. Uh, we're ending about 20 minutes early, so plenty of time for Q&A, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have.
Thanks.